Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, where you will find messages from various speakers here at Eastgate House of Prayer Mission Base, both a house of prayer and a praying church. We pray that you are blessed through this message and that a greater measure of truth is revealed to you as you listen. Good morning. What an honor it is to be with you all this morning. Thank you, worship team. You guys are amazing. Thank you. So Kirk had asked me to share about two weeks ago, and of course, the response to that is, okay, Lord, what do you want me to share? And as I was talking to the Lord, the Lord kind of gave me two optional routes to take. One was read the Bible and come up with a really good theologically deep, rich Bible study and share it, or you can share your heart and share out of what I'm doing in you in this season. Uh, I picked the second. Yeah. Learning to be obedient. So uh, what, honestly, let's, let me be real. Can I be real this morning? Is that cool? Okay, so, so the past two weeks have been a challenge for me. Anyone that knows me knows I've been a little bit of a crybaby and a bit of a mess and I've had a bit of an attitude. So here's the reality. I was on the what was me train, straight up. I was on the not even lying, it's true. I, I was in the oh, I'm miserable and I'm sad and God nothing's working out for me and I'm really annoyed and God where are you? Why aren't you coming through? I was doing the whole crybaby 12 years old kicking and screaming kind of thing. And the Lord, in his kindness, came and corrected me, as he usually does. And he said, Todd, you're being a victim. I said, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. So this morning, that's exactly what I want to share out of. And, and the title of what I'm sharing this morning is, You Are Not a Victim. Amen? We are victors. Hello? We are one with Jesus, and Jesus is one with us. Where does he reign? He reigns in glory, in victory, seated at the right hand. If we're one with him, we are victors. And so even as Kirk was sharing this morning, talking about like a courageous generation rising up with boldness, all these things, the Lord's going, hi, Todd, hello, if you're still functioning as a victim, do you think you can function in any of that? It's one or the other. It's not both. I can't be a victim and be ashamed and be fearful and da-da-da-da-da and still walk in all that God's called me to. And so it's clear, like, if you evaluate your life and, and look through what the Lord has spoken over each of you in this room and all of those of you watching, it's like the Lord has spoken some pretty clear things in terms of calling over each of our lives. And there is no chance of us walking in those things in full capacity if we're functioning like a victim. It's true. So as, as I was kind of meditating on this, actually, the Lord was bringing me back to a dream, of course, that I had about three months ago, I would say. And so let me paint this picture for you. So in the dream, I'm on this massive cruise ship, okay? It's like huge. It's a big cruise ship. And we're, we're driving. What do cruise ships do? I don't know. They moving, uh, cruising in the water. And I, I can see out the window that we're getting close to land and the cruise ship is not slowing down. So at this really, really fast speed, the cruise ship 
zoom goes straight into the straight into land and then flips up in the air a bunch of times and then crashes down on the ground okay so in the dream i'm like watching like everything fly in the air kind of as gravity pulls all the plates and the dishes and the humans and like everything is going crazy on this boat we crash in the dream i just kind of black out for a second and i wake up on a bus i'm sitting next to my beloved rochelle and Rochelle's on the phone with her mom, and she's like, Mom, this is what just happened. So good advice to anyone who gets in any kind of accident. Call your mom. That's the first piece of advice that the Lord was giving me. Um, and so I, I think to myself in the dream, I'm like, oh, my gosh, yeah, well, I guess I should call my mom. So a little bit of backstory. Um, I, in 2017, I got in two car accidents back-to-back, -back, 40 days apart, and it was the most traumatic, awful thing in my life ever. Out of that came counseling and a diagnosis of PTSD. It just wasn't a fun time. And somewhere along the line, it shifted from being just a hard time because a really bad thing actually did happen. And it shifted into a, woe is me, I'm miserable, feel bad for me. Somewhere down the line, that just happened to shift from, this is authentically hard, to now I'm just looking for pity. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's a real thing. That's what was happening in the dream as I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got in car accidents. This boat accident should be really traumatic for me. I should be freaking out right now. I should be like really, really concerned. So of course I call my mom and as I've shared before, my mom is a little bit protective. Um, I mean like growing up like one person on a trampoline at a time, if there was more than one, you would probably die because you'd bump heads. And I had Heelys as a kid, like the shoes with the, the wheels in the bottom and I always had to wear a helmet. So I'd wanna wear them in Costco because the floor was really smooth. And of course, mom was like, you can't unless you wear a helmet. And of course, helmets weren't cool, so I didn't wear my Heelys. So this is, this is the nature of my mom. And I'm thinking through this in the dream. I'm going, okay, got in a traumatic boat accident. Mom's going to be concerned. I need to call her. So, so I call her and I'm going, mom, I'm freaking out. Like just got in this crazy boat accident, flipped up in the air. Oh my goodness, like freaking out. And totally not what I was expecting. I'm expecting mom to start hyperventilating and start crying and start freaking out. She's like, Todd, you're okay. And I'm, I'm like in the dream, I'm like frustrated. I'm like, mom, you're supposed to feel bad for me. You're supposed to be like, okay, I'm on my way right now. Don't even worry, I'm bringing band-aids and helmets. Like don't, like don't even stress out right now. And I'm just, I'm like floored in the dream. And she goes, Todd, you were okay. And I was like, okay. And so I hang up the phone and, and the dream kind of goes in a different direction. But this is the reality of how the Lord responds to us in our brokenness. He doesn't withdraw and pull away. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, I don't care. But he also doesn't go, oh my gosh, well, let's just sulk about that for five years so you can actually not function in your calling. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's the kindness of the Father who goes, okay, that's okay. You're okay. Let's get up and let's move on. So this, this is the reality of what we're working with. So let's just pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your body, and I thank you for the people who are gathered with us this morning in the room and via the live stream. I thank you for every heart that is within earshot of what I'm sharing this morning. God, I'm asking that um, anything that is of you, that it would just invade hearts and impact minds today. I'm asking that you would change us and that you would pull us out of victim menta mentality and that you would pull us into being a victorious church, an overcoming and victorious bride. And so, Jesus, would you go before me as I share? 
And would you continue to be so present in this place and in our hearts? In Jesus' name. And so the reality is, is life is hard. Amen? Anyone agree? I'm sure all of you who have lived years longer than me can attest that life is hard. No person walking on the planet has like a handbook of like, this is how you solve all of life's issues. No one has like a little like step-by-step. -step. If you have a problem, here's what you do. If, if your marriage isn't working out, here's how you fix it. I mean, like there are books, but you can do all the things and it just might not work. Question mark. Life can be hard. Heard a quote this week where actually the, the definition of hard was this. Hard is where the problem eats up hope. It's where hope can't be felt, but must be trusted. Hard is where there is no easy answer. Hard is where the textbooks stop and the keys can't be found. Hard is often unexpected or impossible to completely anticipate. It leaves you questioning your survival if you run at it with everything you have. Hard affects more than just the surface emotions. It taps in deep. Absolutely. Life is hard. Some of you in this room and some of you watching, like, you have been through really, really awful traumatic things. You have been a victim of abuse. You have been, um, you know, you have experienced some real, real evil. Don't hear me as dismissing any of that. I'm not dismissing real, real hard things. I believe in a God who empathizes with us. I believe in a God who sees us in our need. I believe in a God who, who meets us in that place better than the bestest of friends. Like that's who he is. I believe in, in a Romans 12 God where, where the command to us is to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The expectation is only on us because God himself functions in that. Like when we mourn, when we rejoice, he's right there in it with us. This is who he is. But we also all know what it is to complain when life is hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not financially comfortable enough. I'll never own my own home. I don't seem to ever have enough. I feel misunderstood. I'm not accepted. I'm lonely. I hate always feeling like I always have to serve others. I feel like I'm always facing opposition. I just go from one trial to the next. Any of this sounding familiar? Do, you, do we ever talk like this? I just wish I could go in the past and fix things. I just wish I could go in the forward. I just wish I could move to the future and, and see what things are going to look like there. I just wish that someone would marry me. I just wish I could have kids right now. <laughs> no one really supports me. No one really gets my calling. No one really loves me. I've got nothing to offer. And so the reality is, is these are all outflows of like a real heart positioning. We don't make those things up. Like we're really feeling those things. They're authentic feelings. And I, what I see is I see us moving to one extreme side of the spectrum or, or the other side stream of the spectrum when things get hard. And, and one side is, well, I'm just going to withdraw. I'm going to pull away. I'm not going to feel anything. Things are hard. Everything's good. Smile, move on. Then we have the other side where it's like everything is going so bad and I just need to control and I need to fix everything and I just need to like go crazy. Like I just nitpicking everyone else's problems too, not even just my own. And everywhere in between we seem to fall. But the reality is, is 
even though both of these are opposite sides of the spectrum, they're both dysfunctional and selfish in nature. And the reality is, is functioning as a victim is just that. It's me, 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 my problems, my worries, my stresses, my situations, me, me, me. I neglect to see the other the second that I'm functioning as a victim. I couldn't care less if you're a mess. I might pretend like I do. I might try to fix your stuff, but it's really all rooted in me. This is the reality. There's an option in the context of, of life being hard and feeling like functioning like a victim where we can function like the Israelites and consistently be ones who grumble and complain and murmur and rebel and consistently grow discontent. And, but, like, here's the reality. God was clearly leading the Israelites. Like, you read the story. It's like, come on, guys. Like, God is so with you. Like, smack, smack, smack. Like, do you not see anything? And even God himself says in Numbers 14, 22, this blew my mind when I read it this week. God says, surely all the men who have seen my glory and my miraculous signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, will by no means see the land which I swore to give their fathers, nor will any who treated me disrespectfully and rejected me see it. So God is going, they've seen my glory, they've seen me show up in power, but yet they're still going to function like victims, and they're still going to function like they have nothing. It's like, hello, open your eyes. I remember especially as a kid always functioning like this. For me, I grew up, I grew up in Pentecostal circles, and so speaking in tongues was like the be-all, end-all. And so for me, I, I remember like I would sit at home and I'd be like, well, like I'm just like not super spiritual, and I don't really love Jesus a lot because I haven't spoken in tongues yet. Literally, this is how I function. Like this, this is the way that my brain thought. And, and I know that there's a reality where a lot of us will go, I'd probably function less like a victim if God would just like show up in power and do some kind of crazy thing. I, I'd maybe function less like a victim if I could have crazy cool dreams like Kirk has. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't function like a victim as much if I just had that radical experience with God that just floored me. You know what I mean? Like we're waiting for the next thing, but yet here's even God himself saying in Numbers 14, saying, I, I showed you my glory. I showed you miraculous signs, and that's still not enough. If someone would just lay hands on me and pray for me, if I could just get healed... Jesus himself didn't even meet all the expectations of his disciples. Consistently throughout the Gospels, they're actually disappointed with Jesus and how he's functioning. It's true. According to our standards, Jesus did not measure up. And so, like, if, if Jesus himself didn't even meet all the wants and expectations of his disciples with his physical presence... No amount of God's presence is going to satisfy my attitude now. We sometimes actually need to kill our wants and unmet expectations to trust God as provider, even in the hard times. So the disciples are walking with Jesus himself, and yet there were moments where they didn't even fully feel safe with him. There were moments where they didn't always know how to obey what he commanded. There were moments where they didn't always enjoy doing what he asked. And so the reality is, is that our unmet expectations and our reactions are actually not that different than that of the disciples. 
We thought he would fix everything. We want him to right now, but he doesn't. It reminds me of Martha in John 11, Lazarus is dead. And she goes, if only you were here, Lord. Do you think Martha felt like a victim in that moment? I've made myself best friends with the Son of God, and my worst nightmares still happen to me. Think of Job, like, living so righteous before the Lord, and yet everything gets stripped away. Think he felt like a victim? I would think he did. And the reality is here is that Jesus, more than you or I, had permission to function as a victim. The other reality is that our victim mentality is actually contagious. So this is, this is where it gets really dangerous because now it's not just about my walk. It's about those that surround me and their walk. You know when someone who's really, really happy walks in a room. All of a sudden, everyone's just like laughing. No one really knows why, but we're all really happy. Why? It's contagious. It's contagious. It changes the atmosphere. Absolutely. And so in the same way, if I walk in a room and I'm going, what was me? I'm so miserable. I'm so sad. You know who it impacts? Everyone around me. And so now what I've just done is now my dysfunction is not just my dysfunction anymore. It's everyone's dysfunction. Welcome to the dysfunction club. We're all victims together. Yikes. So we, we can see it clearly that we live in an addicted generation, absolutely. And something that, that the Lord's really been talking to me about is actually everywhere that you see addiction is an unmet need that was always me meant to be met by the Lord, right? So the reality is, is in the context of feeling like a victim, the way that we most commonly act is we try to draw people close because there's a need, right? There's a need for friendship. There's a need for closeness. There's a need for intimacy. So you draw people close. This is where we've gotten it wrong, though. It's like, who's the solution here? Jesus is the only solution every time. And so in the context of functioning like a victim, we, we actually sometimes enjoy the dysfunction. We actually sometimes like feed off the, the, the dysfunction because it draws others close to give us the attention that we were looking for all along. Yet only Jesus should fill that void. And so the reality is, is that as long as woe is me is my anthem, I'm actually functioning like an orphan and I'm actually functioning like a victim. And that's actually exactly opposite to who Jesus says I am. Read Romans 8. So, I mean, here's the reality. Hard life things happen. We've established that. It's true. The biggest thing that I wish I could do in my life is I wish I could go back to 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old me who was dealing with hard stuff. But I wish I could go back and tell old me, hi, you'll be okay. The same way that my mom said that to me in my dream, I wish I could go back and be like, girl, you're fine. You will be fine. And watch the Lord redeem every moment. Watch the Lord restore every moment of brokenness. Watch the Lord come through and blow your mind with what he wants to do with your stuff, with the stuff that you've walked through. And so in the same way, if you're dealing with stuff today, think ahead 10 years. And what 10, year old, 10 years in the future yourself might say to yourself currently. 
You know what I'm trying to say. Thank you. And so in light of us functioning like victims, you might be asking, okay, well, what does the Lord have to say about this? I have a couple of things that I believe the Lord is saying. The Lord responds to us functioning as victims, and he says, I know what I'm doing. 1 Corinthians 3.7 says, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that it's God who makes the seed grow. Clearly, God's goal for us is to grow us. Side note, I got really excited about this verse last night, and I started preaching to these guys about it because I was so fired up. This is a quote that I heard in light of that verse, was that maturing is growing up. It's not just acting like a grown-up. So you can be 50 years old and be immature. You can be 12 years old and mature. Are you grown up or acting like one? Because if it's not authentic, people aren't drawn to it. So we will never reach people with our story, with what we're carrying, if it's not authentic. So God grows us. Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He started the work. He's going to complete it. God knows what he's doing. He's writing your story. The Lord says, I know what I'm doing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knows what he's doing. Another thing the Lord says is he says, you're okay. Just like how my mom responded in the dream. You're okay. Here's the reality. Not functioning as a victim doesn't look like suppressing. It doesn't look like pretending like everything's fine if it's not. It doesn't look like bucking up and just being strong. It doesn't look like not seeking counsel or comfort from those around us. But it's to know that the voice of the Lord is, to quick to, is quick to remind us that we're okay, even when culture or the people surrounding us try to tell us that we should function as a victim, that we're supposed to be traumatized, that we're supposed to be depressed, that we're supposed to be non-functional. The list goes on and on. God is not overwhelmed by our circumstances like we are. He doesn't get confused when things don't go our way. He doesn't question his own leadership. And he knows you're okay even when you don't. And he's actually more right about you than you're right about you. He knows and he sees. Another thing the Lord is saying is in the context of heart and in the context of feeling like a victim, learn selflessness. Mm, This is a good one. 
like I said earlier, the, the, the root issue of functioning as a victim is actually entitlement. It's me, what I deserve, what I think I need. Psalm 110 verse 3, Kirk was on a couple of months ago of, of what does it look like for us as the people of God to volunteer freely in the day of his power. We can't volunteer freely if we're so focused on me. I'm not signing up for someone else's war if I'm so focused on me. I'm busy in my room crying and feeling bad about myself. You know what I'm saying? I'm never going to volunteer for a war if I'm functioning as a victim. When it becomes about us, our imperfections, our inconvenient circumstances, our weak answers, our frustrations, we actually are unable to see his perfect love and truth. And we're unable to position ourselves in humility, surrender, and selflessness. And these things are prerequisites to be used by God. Like, let's be real. There's one thing that we are all entitled to. It's hell. It's death. It's separation from God. That is the one thing that I am entitled to. I am not entitled to a nice house. I'm not entitled to good friends. I'm not entitled to, I'm not entitled to anything. But yet, he's shown us mercy and he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And he invites us into a life of favor and blessing. It's good news. Another thing that God says in the context of life being hard or things being challenging, he says, I never told you it would be easy. But yet we function like as if he did. God, why aren't things easy right now? Did I ever say that? I mean, Jesus himself says in John 16, in this world you will have all the different versions I just got. <laughs> That's funny. Trouble, sufferings, all the things. We all know full well that in a snap of his fingers, God could fix any bad situation we're in. So we have to ask the question, not God, can you, or God, will you? It's God, why are you not? What might you be trying to teach me? Like, I, I just feel like the Lord's saying, like, I could fix your momentary problem, or this trial could actually make you look more like my son. What's a bigger priority for us? Me, my comfort, my agenda, what I want, what I think I need, or looking more like Jesus? I mean, what does the word Christian even mean? Christ-like ones, that's it. And so it's like, if this is the goal, and this is a label we're putting on ourselves, I am a lover of Jesus, isn't the goal to look more like him? It's simple, but it's a reality we often forget because we get distracted. Another thing that the Lord says in the context of things being hard is, I'm trying to mature you. As I was talking to the Lord about that dream like months ago, the Lord was so clear with me. He was like, Taught, you've allowed yourself to sit in discouragement and defeat when I've simply wanted to mature you through your circumstances. That's as simple as it is. He's a good dad that just wants us to look more like his son. From the mountaintop to the valley low, every season, every season acts as testing grounds to see if you are made up of quality, world-changing stuff that will stand the test. It's an opportunity. Here's, here's the math 
equation here because I love math. So it's the voice of the Lord guiding us plus our obedience. That's it. It's literally not complicated. And so now the question is, okay, we know what the Lord's saying in light of things being hard. We know what the Lord's saying in light of us, us falling under victim mentality. How will we respond to what the Lord is saying? Hard circumstances are unavoidable. Some of you within my earshot on the live stream or here in the room, like you're saying, Todd, you have no idea what I'm walking through. You have no idea. And you're absolutely right. I probably don't. Some of you in this room or watching on the live stream, you are dealing with mental illness that just paralyzes you. Like you can't even get out of bed. And some of you have had health scares in this past year that have made walking and living and breathing and moving really challenging. It's been hard to have faith. Some of you in this room, you know, having a, you don't know if having a history of 20 years of marriage to your spouse is enough to keep you going for another 20. Like this is a reality. Some of you don't even know what life is going to look like moving forward because COVID's had an awful impact on your finances. These are real life situations, but it brings us to a crossroad where now we have two optional responses when life gets hard. When these circumstances happen, when these situations arise, we have two options as to how we're going to respond. Many will choose to let their faith fall flat under the pressure of hard seasons by throwing tantrums and by compromising their character in times of weakness. There's also a reality in that of even just like tolerating by just getting through. If I can just make it to next month, if I can just make it to next year, everything will be fine. Operating in this passivity and challenging seasons actually disenables you from growing. This is making the choice to let hard situations shape you for the worse. This is allowing my agenda to come before what God may have for me. That's option A. Option B is that others may hold so firmly to their faith by thriving in God's presence that strongholds will come down and ground is watered even through their seasons of tears. This is making the choice to let hard situations shape you for the better. This is allowing what God may have for me to come before my agenda. What's more important here? Hebrews 10, 39 says, But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Passivity is not our portion. And so there is that option of functioning like the Israelites and grumbling and complaining and murmuring and, and being dysfunctional. Or we could gain heaven's perspective to see that a straight journey to the promised land might actually rob us of the maturity that we'd need and that we'd gain by 40 years of walking in the wilderness. So here's the reality. The measure of commitment that you have to your wants versus God's will is quickly revealed when life gets too hard. This is why self-reflection is so important. Self-awareness is so important. How committed you are to your wants Versus God's will is quickly revealed when life gets too hard. You will choose to either complain and compromise your beliefs in the heat of these moments, or you will proclaim and commit your faith deeper. That's what I want. So Romans 8 verse 29, he amplified, this is so good. For those whom he foreknew and loved and chose beforehand, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son and ultimately share in his complete sanctification so that he would be the firstborn, the most beloved and honored among many believers. So here's the question. In the hard seasons, are you becoming a victim or becoming one with a testimony of victory? So I'm committing right now that I will be one who sees my awful circumstances as opportunities to be more like Jesus. I will be one who embraces growing pains and trials all for the sake of growing in intimacy with the Father. I will be one who doesn't passively wish away my time when God is wanting me to learn something. I will be one who doesn't seek comfort from man when the one who comforts me best lives on the inside. I will be one who isn't preoccupied with my own agenda so much so that I can't see what God may be wanting to teach me in the middle of my own circumstances. A professor of mine from Kingswood, he, he wrote this in his book. He said, if there's another way, God, I want something different, but I trust that who I'm becoming through your guidance and my obedience is always best. Something that I've been saying all the time has been, God, deliver me from me. Sounds like Cheryl all the time saying, God, I just want to die the best way possible. But seriously, like as long as we're functioning as victims, it's all about me. I will always see through the lens of me. I'm always preoccupied with me. I'm always thinking about me, which is so opposite to the nature of the kingdom, which looks like always preferring the other. The goal is to live with a vision. And so we all know the verse, like without vision, the people perish. And I always heard that in like leadership context where like in those like really cool like leadership conferences, they'd be like, your church needs to have a really awesome vision statement so that everyone knows where your church is heading and they'll lock in and join your church and you'll have a lot of numbers. And they use that verse to, to kind of back that up. But I actually believe that the simplicity of that verse is without a vision fixed on Jesus, the people perish. It's, it's that simple. It's, it's not have a cool vision statement that captures the mission of your church. It's have vision and eyes for Jesus, and you will win every time. So the goal is to live with a vision. I believe the best lens for us to look through is the one of Christ-likeness. One that says, is my heart positioning in this season setting me up to look more like Jesus? Or is it setting me up to prioritize me? And so Jesus, right now I'm asking that you would continue to give us grace. Continue to give us the the capacity and the strength to choose you over our own agenda, to choose you over our own desire for comfort, to choose you over us just feeling good about ourselves. Jesus, I'm asking that you would draw your church out of victim mentality in this hour, that you would set us free from prioritizing me over you and your mission. Jesus, I'm asking that you would give us strength and grace to surrender in this hour, to give up our desires and and what we're pushing for.
Jesus, what would it look like for a generation to prioritize you, your will, and prioritize others? So Jesus, come and deliver me from me and come and deliver us from us. Jesus, we want to look like your son in all things. And so, Father, I'm asking for every single person in this room and watching online who's going through really hard stuff right now. Father, I'm asking that you would give them heaven's perspective, heaven's understanding that they would be able to to grow and mature in the likeness of your son, not function in passivity or apathy or complacency, not disregarding what you might be trying to teach them. For the one who's walking through the desert, for the one who who feels like they just want to be in the promised land already, Father, would you give them the, the spirit of endurance and encouragement to be able to walk through these trials closer to you than ever before. And so, Jesus, thank you for the way that you're growing us as a house, and thank you for the way that you are growing your body in this hour, all that we would be a courageous people, a bold people, uh, a people who are so concerned about seeing your kingdom come and your will be done. And so, Jesus, we trust you, and we love you, and we give our hearts to you for you to shape and mold in all things in every season. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. To find more teaching resources or to join us via live stream, visit our website at eastgatehouseofprayer.ca.